Welcome to another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some great YouTube content, stories and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy music, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people these days do like to share their opinions, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email address at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with a K. And I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. The website also has Spotify playlists of all of the songs used in each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. I've also put some small playlists of the great, lesser-known artists that I feature at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please subscribe to the podcast, share, rate, and review the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Before I get into the episode, I want to quickly thank Mike DeCon in California, Brett Gasket for sending me Austrian Death Machine, Damo Kitchen Cabinet Forks, Darby Lemmy, Chris Swinney from That One Time on Tour podcast, Scott Hughes, and also Rob Dean for the music for the new segment we've got coming up later. Thanks, guys. I listen to a shitload of podcasts, and I'm pretty sure I've never heard a podcast done by an Australian male about rock music focusing on artists with four syllables in their name singing songs that have four syllables in the title. So it's about time that this important topic is addressed, so here it is. Episode 18, 4x4. Four four. Let's start with a song that won three Grammy Awards in 2010 for Best Record of the Year, Best Rock Song, Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. Here's the singer and guitarist squabbling over who wrote the song and a movie song that inspired the music a little bit and how the singer wrote the lyrics on Surgical Medicine. I think we have a little confusion. He thinks he wrote it. I know I wrote it. I saw an interview the other day where he was like, yeah, I came up with this book. There's only one thing I've got proof on my uh, garage band <laughs> where I played it like in 2005. What, your guitar part? Yeah. No, I definitely no, didn't come up with your guitar part. part. The... It's not this thing, it's the, it's the vocal melody now. So no, I'm, not, I'm not claiming to write that part. That part sucks. I'll have to pull up the garage band file when I, uh, when I wrote it, but figure it out. All right, so how'd you come up with the lyric? 
No, I was scared. That was you, all you, boy. <laughs> Actually, one day I was Collaborate. Home. I was at home and I'm like, Love lift us up where we belong. I just watched um, Officer and Gentleman. Um, but one night I was uh, after my surgery, I had surgery. After my surgery, I had, had surgery. Um, and I was sitting there, I just cooked a big dinner and I was drinking some whiskey. And kind of did like that. And I started uh, writing lyrics, which by the time I'd finished the lyric, I was pretty far gone. Um, and the next day I walked in the living room, my notebook was open and the lyrics were written. And I listened, I had recorded a snippet, but it was just kind of, um, at that point I had been medicated by the doctor and I knew I was at the end of it. I was just like, man, I can't keep taking this medicine because it's making me crazy. I was writing all these sad songs. <laughs> and I had written the lyric to that, you know, I've been roaming around, always looking down at all I see. You know I could use somebody. Um, but yeah, I, I, actually, I, when we all got together, that was one of those things that everyone kept wanting to play the song, and I was scared of it because I thought it was going to be a hit. Um, I was right. It was a pretty big hit. <laughs> um, but I was kind of scared of it. But when we all came together, and once the melody came, the that's when it all came together. Their four-syllable band name, Kings of Leon. Their four-syllable song title, Use Somebody. Someone like you and all you know and how you'll speak. Countless lovers under cover of the street. You know that I can use somebody. You know that I can use somebody. Next up, we have an absolute Aussie classic with a great name for a rock club, The Shaking Hand. I'm pretty sure the singer accidentally says Crub, C-R-U-B. Check it out and see what you think. He also says that the club has a 42 decibel rocking band. On Googling decibel charts, 20 dB is a ticking watch, 30 dB is a soft whisper, and 40 dB is about the normal hum of a household fridge or a quiet library. So I'm not sure how rocking the band would be at that volume, but we will forgive the great Bon Scott. ACDC have played this song at every gig since 1978. ACDC, let there be rock.
Next up, we have another Aussie classic that should have definitely been included in episode seven's Cowbell Extravaganza. This one has some great filthy image painting lyrics about vibrator use from the lyrics, silently she opens the drawer onwards and also has a great made up Eastern Suburbs Melbourne word, dorseted, when he says, the garden, it is dorseted. The word dorseted is created after a band venue in Croydon in the Eastern Suburbs of Melbourne called the Dorset Gardens, which is still open to this day. I'm not sure if Australian is three syllables or four syllables, Australian or Australian, but it's my rabbit hole, so it's three syllables today. You'll have to deal with it. The boys light up, Australian crawl. The next one gives me my first quadruple pointer ever. Four syllable band, four syllable song title, four syllable songwriter and four-syllable album title. This song is track one off this band's third album and probably their best album. I have banged on about this guy being my favourite lyricist and singer, and this song is a perfect example of his knack of projecting an image into my soul. Dalamitri, Be My Downfall, off the album Change Everything, written by Justin Curry. Four times four, golden. Well, the bus is pulling out and I guess I'd better go Before I make a grave mistake And let my feelings show And 20 miles away She waits alone for me But when I try to picture her You're the one I see And then another situation I Shouldn't do 
stay with Justin Curry for a bit and add on one of his great ranting four-syllable masterpieces, No Surrender. I always thought it was No Surrender, like a battle cry, but it has a comma between the words as a bleak give-up call. No Surrender, making the lyrics of the song so much better. Here's a bit of this nearly eight-minute rant, No Surrender, Justin Curry. Big Macs for the fat, locale wraps for the call center battery hens, Japanese snacks for the choice boat citizens, caviar kickbacks for the citadel denizens. Airport shoe shine service in the suits among the little silver stereos and hand rolled cheroots. First class passengers file on last after the scummer packed in with their tax free loot. Check out calamity, you cheated out of loyalty points Ten more years at this joint, you'd be home and dry Beggars beat round the cash machine But you just slip between them with the usual lie Terrible tales of kidnapped kids Keep you focused on the family and filling up the fridge Neighborhood watchers, shop door dodgers Stick their semis on the market and start racking up the bids Should you stand and fight? Should you die for what you think is right? So your useless contribution will be remembered If you're asking me, I say no Surrender Cancerous cure, a swarming race of profiteers ensure Cheap cars for the rich, cheap lives for the poor Cheap weeks in the sun, free drinks at the door Pure our propaganda plugs up the TV Keep folk following the money so they'll never be free Keep them swallowing the swill, the celebrities, the pedophiles The immigrants invading from the camp over the hill War talk, the big debate Foot soldiers in the capital Liberating new kinds of hate Come shots of human dogs caught in the spotlight's glare He dies, who dares? Fatuous fast tracker Sneering at the shelf stackers Little middle Englanders Can't stand the backpackers Fortress freedom, come on in Take your chances, you might Stand and fight Should you die for what you think is right So your useless contribution will be remembered If you're asking me, I say no Who would have thought back in uh, 1982 when we wrote that song that that song would have that kind of mileage on it and you know to obviously to be able to write a song and have your name associated with a piece of music that has that kind of uh, that plays that kind of role in so many people's lives um, 
all over the world. And, and in this particular case, the fact that the sharks roll out through the giant, you know, shark mouth and, and smoke and the fire and the music and the energy in the building and so on is obviously, uh, it's one of your proudest moments. It's a, it's a very cool thing to be associated with. Yeah, Seek and Destroy has been a big part of that. I still can't believe that they picked Seek and Destroy, which I love. 1983, you know, what we were writing about then was just, <laughs> that's all we knew. We're gonna show up and we're gonna kick some ass. <laughs> and when we leave here, you're gonna know we were here. Uh, so I, 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 uh, I understand why it's been chosen, but when I hear my voice, like, oh my God. Uh, I was like 19 years old and <laughs> I think I've matured a little bit since then, <laughs> maybe a little bit. But it's awesome, you know. It's it sets a tone. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, sound quality not the best, but <laughs> that's all we knew in '83. But I love the fact that someone has taken our song and is still using it like that. And it, it is, you know, it's it's synonymous with sharks hitting the ice, coming out of the mouth, through the teeth, and then the smoke. Very awesome. That was obviously Metallica talking about their four-syllable classic, Seek and Destroy. at some extra rabbit hole glory points with the Aussie band and artist Powderfinger and singer and now solo artist Bernard Fanning both having four-syllable names with an excellent mid-song count-in that would have been at home in episode three's count-ins. Powderfinger with Already Gone. You've been working all your life All weekends and overtime While you're trying to unwind You can't relate to the leisured life Another day meanders by 
in nature's table time All these things just pass you by You can't relax in a scheduled life Bernard Fanning's song I've chosen is such a beautiful tune from his great 2016 album, the disappointingly three-syllabled Civil Dusk. Even if you don't know or like Powderfinger, Bernard's debut album, Tea and Sympathy, and Civil Dusk are great, great albums. They really are. Bernard Fanning, Emerald Flame. Who could face this ruthless beauty? Masterpiece of fate and glory Through simple silhouette and shadow Bells apart and ringing hollow You have shattered my defenses Now nothing will divide us Sacred fields fallen fallow You build the tenements of sorrow Step into this vacant future The hopeful hallelujah All the light Emerald flame beneath your brow All the light, the emerald flame One of these days you'll see the best of me Most nights now you wrestle with the rest of me Let me steal you for the weekend You can scatter my defenses I guess if you still love me then Nothing will divide us Next up is another great Aussie band who have been in a few rabbit holes. This song actually features members of Body Jar on drunken backing vocals and makes me not want to take a bath ever again. A song that has three distinctive parts, Uncle Harry by The Living End, with another excellent mid-song counting that should have starred in episode three.
Another four-syllable song by a four-syllable artist is A Praise Chorus by Jimmy Eat World off the album Bleed American. The album was also later called Jimmy Eat World. Why the name changes? I'm glad I asked. The Bleed American album was released in July 2001 and the Bleed American single, which is what's playing in the background, was released on September 11, 2001, the same day as the horrific attacks in America. So the album title Bleed American was changed to Jimmy Eat World and the song Bleed American was changed to Salt, Sweat, Sugar. Just a side rabbit hole on the song Bleed American. It was placed on a list of 165 songs that the Clear Channel Communications Network, which is now called iHeartMedia, which is the largest owner of radio stations in the US, sent around as suggestions to not play due to their content and the obvious sensitivities around the attacks. Some of the other songs on the list were ACDC's Highway to Hell, TNT, Shot Down in Flames, The Bangles' Walk Like an Egyptian, The Beatles' Ticket to Ride, Dio's Holy Diver, Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door, Imagine by John Lennon, Another One Bites the Dust by Queen, Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun, even Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. There's actually a wiki page, Clear Channel Memorandum, with the whole list. Anyway, back to the 4x4. A Praise Chorus by Jimmy Eat World lists a few song lines from other songs, and here's a few of them. Praise Chorus, Jimmy Eat World.
next 4x4 is a song by Islands, Damien Rice. The song is really two songs put together with a story that ties them together. And the first part is sung by the beautiful five-syllabled Lisa Hannigan. The second part is a stark, reverbless vocal distorted nugget of I Remember by Damien Rice. I remember it well Taxied out of a store To watch you perform And my ships were sailing I was stored in your line And your mouth, your mouth, your mouth Won't you hear tonight, won't you hear Cause I can't believe what I found Won't you hear tonight, won't you hear Nothing is taking me down, down, down. Except you, my love. Except you. Come all you lost, dive into moss and hope that my sanity covers the cost to remove the stain of my love and paper mache. Oh, come all you reborn, blow off my horn. I'm driving real hard. This is love. This is poor. God will forgive me, but I, I whip myself, scorn, scorn, I want to hear what you have to say about me, yeah. if you're going to live without me, I want to hear what you want, I remember December. I'm trying not to repeat songs in the rabbit hole, but this one was way back in episode six's F-bomb extravaganza. Tenacious D, fuck her gently. What's your favorite position? That's cool with me, it's not my favorite, but I'll do it for you. What's your favorite dish? I'm not gonna cook it, but I'll order it from Zanzibar. And then I'm gonna love you completely. And I fucking fuck you discreetly And then I fucking bone you completely But then I'm on a fuck you 
Beatles time. Two of the Beatles have four-syllable names, George Harrison and Paul McCartney. And as mentioned in episode eight and nine name changes, Ringo is technically a four-syllable legend to Richard Starkey. We'll start with George. Here's George talking in 2001, just before his death, about his four-syllable masterpiece record, All Things Must Pass. Well, when I started the album, All Things Must Pass, I was just trying to do a record and uh, I had so many songs that I just recorded one after the other and just kept doing backing tracks. And one day I thought, I better uh, check out what's going on here. And I had 18 tracks. Also, the accountant at Abbey Road came down the stairs and said, is this record going to take much longer? So I thought, well, I I think that's probably enough and uh, decided to put them all out at once. Your friend Eric Clapton was originally only credited on the Apple Jam. How many other tracks do you recall Eric contributing to? Well, he's on, he's on nearly every track there is. Like the very first note on the album is Eric. And I'd have you any time. In those days, the um, record company, both my record company and his, they didn't like you to have your name on other people's records. They were very possessive. And so if you look on the um, record of uh, the last Cream record, Goodbye Cream, my credit is Angelo Di Misterioso or something. That was me. He just didn't get any credit because they said you're not allowed to. Otherwise, you've got to pay him royalties or they have to pay me royalties. You know, it was some silly thing like that. So, George, in closing, how would you sum up All Things Must Pass today? I don't know, just something that was like my continuation from the Beatles, really. It was me sort of getting out of the Beatles and just going my own way. And so as my first record, it was very a happy occasion. I think in some ways it stands up. It, I mean, it does the sound on some of the records are, uh, you know, a bit old. It sounds a bit old, but... Um, You know, I think it kind of stands up still. All Things Must Pass, George Harrison. Beatle number two is Paul McCartney. Here's Paul talking about my favourite four-syllable song from Abbey Road and how the lyrics from a 17th century song made it in the track. I think a lot of people might be surprised that you sort of dare to take Golden Slumbers, the well-known lullaby, and give it a new variation. I I enjoyed it very much, but um, what made you decide to do that? Because the Beatles have never done that before, have they? Taken another tune or lyrics? Well, I'll tell you, I was just playing the piano in Liverpool, my dad's house. And uh, my sister Ruth's 
piano book. She was learning the piano. And you know those sort of with Ken John Peel yeah. and the Golden Slumbers and your old yeah, favourites. Yeah. was up on the thing, you know, the stand, you know, there's a little book with all those words in it and stuff. So I was just flicking through it and I came to Golden Slumbers, you know. So I just started... Because I can't read music, so I didn't know the tune. I can't remember the old tune, you know. <laughs> so I started uh, just playing my tune to it. And then I liked the words, so I just kept that, you know. And then it fitted with another bit of song I had, which is the verse in between it. So I just made that into a song. It just happened because I was reading a book. I'm going to pop in a demo version, then blend into the album mix. This song has George Harrison smashing a great bass line and once again Ringo playing a great drum part. And you can also hear Paul playing another Beatles song that it looks like he lifted the rhythm for this song from. Golden Slumbers by the Beatles. Golden Slumbers take one. Yeah, there's a couple on on the album a bit like that. added this next one as I can remember sneaking into a pub when I was around 15 or 16 to see the blues cover bands. I saw the singer in the toilet once and I asked him a question and his response to me was obliviously hilarious. My question was, do you guys play after midnight? His answer was, yeah mate, we finish at 1am. Eric Clapton, after midnight. After This next song from 1980 is probably my favourite Stevie Wonder song, and luckily it has a four-syllable title too. The second riff has always made me smile, and here it is. Stevie Wonder, Master Blaster. (laughs) 
This next one is another song in three parts, like a Middle Eastern Bohemian Rhapsody. Part one is a normal acoustic vibe from these Canadian four-syllable masters. The middle part takes us to a Middle Eastern market before the ends rock outro is typical of The Tea Party, Sister Awake. She remembered the beauty She remembered desire In the flame, calls from the flame turns away, and in these winds can change. She wakes Another song in three parts, and this one is a monster hit and this classic band's only number one US single. Here's Slash talking about the song. Sweet Child of Mine came up when uh, Guns N' Roses was sitting in a house. The house was basically totaled. I don't know how long we've been living there, but it was basically a shell, you know. And one afternoon, uh, Izzy and I basically were the only ones that lived there at this point. And uh, Duff had come over to visit, and Axel had come by, and uh, uh, Izzy and Duff and I were sitting downstairs. And I was just playing my guitar, and Izzy had his guitar, and it was in the middle of the afternoon. And um, where the riff came from, I don't really remember, but I started playing this pattern. And I mean, it was one of those things that I was in the process of discovering as I came up with each note and sort of turned it into something that kept rotating, you know. And then it, along the way, Izzy started playing the chords that went along with it, behind it. And I guess Axel had overheard us playing it. He was upstairs. And uh, unbeknownst to us, he'd started writing lyrics. And uh, a couple days later, I guess it was, we were at rehearsal and doing sort of pre-production or whatever. And uh, Axel goes, play that song you guys were playing the other day. 
And I was like, what song? What are you talking about? Anyway, so it turns out that, you know, that thing that you guys were doing downstairs. So that's really where it came from. And the song more or less wrote it. All Guns N' Roses songs write themselves. There's no formula. There's, there's no pattern. There's no, uh, you know, sort of like style. Anyway, so this was one of those things where it starts with the riff, Izzy's got the chords, Duff just makes up some melody lines and stuff, and then Axel started singing it. And it really, the, the entire song sort of came together that evening. And then uh, the sort of dramatic solo section, just, I think that was, you know, because the song to me was so, I always complain about it because it was so up-tempo, ballady kind of thing. Really rubbed me the wrong way. Even though I made up the riff, I didn't know it was going to turn into it. And so I came in with the chord changes for the actual solo part, which for me was the only redeeming part of the song. And uh, right after that, we went into the studio and uh, we went in and recorded uh, all the material that's the live bit that's on the Lies record. Uh, we also recorded some demos for Sweet Child of Mine and Jungle and whatever. And in that demo process, um, we got to the section where it says, where do we go now and all that. Yeah. And I, I remember we had the breakdown and then uh, Spencer had mentioned to Axel, oh no, Axel's like, where do we go? And that's how we turned it into. Oh. Uh, really, the riff was like, the, the riff in the middle section were my main things. Um, yeah. The actual chorus part, the dunk, dunk, that was uh, probably Izzy. Um, you know, any of those three chords, simple three chord things, you know, yeah. it's usually an Izzy thing. That's really the only two parts of the song before the solo section comes together. But we have sort of a synergy of each person sort of having an idea or an input that just to fill that gap when the other guy goes, uh, you know, and it just sort of comes together. And we're sort of like, in those days anyway, we were very easy. I don't remember spinning ever more than one day writing a song in those days, you know. Axel might have spent some time with the lyrics, but as far as the actual arrangement of the song, it wasn't finished by the end of the night. All right, let's move on. Where do we go now? Where do we go? I burn a lot of time on YouTube looking for the interviews and seeing where the rabbit hole takes me, and I try to keep positive, but there's two things that are starting to consistently pop up more every week and grind my gears. The main one are the reaction videos where people film the first time they hear songs, stand-up bits, etc. And the second one, which I have touched on in a few episodes, but I'm no longer going to let it annoy me. And no, it's not bass solos. So instead of hatred, I'm going to embrace it, lean into it, and introduce a new segment to the podcast. And here it is. There's a man there you know. He's the host of the show. And you'll find that fucking hates choirs. So each week when I A, can remember to do it and B, can find something super annoying, I will add a choral arrangement that destroys a great song. I think choirs, to me, prove that you can be excellent at your craft and totally miss what is great about music, as this next pile of poop proves.
let's move on. Just circling back on an earlier four-syllable band for a quick side rabbit hole, Australian Crawl had a five-syllable song from 1981 titled Unpublished Critics. Have a quick listen and see if it's possible that it was lifted by Guns N' Roses. Even Duff stated that he had never heard the song, but the similarities were stunning. one point Guns N' Roses, plus one point Aussie Crawl. And while we are in an Australian Crawl rabbit hole of potential pinchery, here's another song of theirs from 1981 called Daughters of the Northern Coast. Four syllables pop to mind. Smells a bit curt. I was in New York in 2011, I think, and myself and my best mate caught a train way out to Farmington in Long Island to a huge beer barn, which I think was called the Crazy Donkey, to see this next band. We chatted to some interesting tumbleweed old musicians on the train and had a surreal time warp evening watching this next band. 40 guitar changes, cigarettes in the headstock, drum and guitar solos, strippers on podiums. It was hilarious. The singer's voice was 100% shot, but the guitars were super nice and loud. The song I've chosen from this band is one of the rare occasions where this band singer doesn't sing in his Brian Johnson register. 
I don't know why, as he sounds heaps better. Cinderella, Heartbreak Station. This next one is a four-syllable classic from 1969 with an amazing backing vocal from another four-syllable singer called Mary Clayton. Mary was pregnant at the time and got a late-night call in LA. She was handed some lyrics, including the line, Rape, Murder, It's Just a Shot Away. Her first take was an octave lower, then she decided at the last second to take it up an octave, and you can actually hear Mick Jagger say, whoa, at three minutes and four in response to that first take that made the final mix. Here's Mary and Mick talking about the song. So it was like very late at night, and I was very, you know, a little pregnant. Had curlers and the whole thing in my head, getting ready to go to bed. And we got a call, Mary, there's a group of guys in town called Rolling, the Rolling Somebodies, and they're from England, and they need somebody that will sing with them. They picked me up with silk pajamas on, <laughs> a mink coat, and a Chanel scarf on my head. We said it would be wonderful if a woman sang this part about that I'd written about rape, murder, and all this. It was in the middle of the night, and and then we thought well, we would love to have a woman sing this part. I didn't know her, and from Adam. And then she turned up in a curler. She was in bed, and she got out of bed. And you know, it was a kind of raunchy part to sing. I said, "What? Rape, murder? It's just a shot away." I started to sing, oh, children, it's a shot away, it's a shot away, with Mick. She sings the lyrics right along me and with a lot of personality, which is what was needed. I said, you want to do another one? I said, sure, I'll do another one. I mean, she just did it like a couple of times, you know. So I said to myself, mm-hmm, I'm going to do another one. I'm going to blow them out of this room. <laughs> I went in again and I did that pass on the, uh, the part that says, uh, Ray Murdoch, just a shot away. So I had to go up another octave. Stones, give me shelter. Ooh, 
next up on our four syllable stop, we have a super up pop moment, the wallflowers, the difference. Such a great vibe and energy on this track. I love it. Next up, we have a band that featured in last episode's Animal Artists. I love the energy of the relentless intro riff and the funny pub pickup story lyrics. Still take you home, Arctic Monkeys. I change a pace with the next one from one of the best singer guitar players ever singing one of the best post booze career songs ever Life by the Drop Stevie Ray Vaughan Drop. 
So that's the last of the four-syllable artists singing four-syllable songs before I get to my favourite, but I want to include a funny, crazy or interesting story in each episode about one of the songs or artists. And this episode's story is about Paul McCartney's classic four-syllable album, Band on the Run. And then it came time to make the record, so I was looking for something different and adventurous, and I found a list of EMI Studios, that was my record label, and... Um, they had studios everywhere. They had studios in China, Brazil. Um, and so Rio was kind of, well, that's a nice yeah, idea. Yeah, thought, yeah. well, it'd be great. But then they had one in Lagos, and I thought, that is so off the beaten track. And it, something's got to happen if we go to Lagos. It's not London. It might not be good, but something's going to happen well, if we get to Lagos. I must say, I never thought that. But you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just thought, no, it'd be great. Wow, Africa. I was sure. thinking of rhythms and music. But um, in actual, yeah, so we chose Lagos. You were about to get on the plane and two members of Wings quit. It was the night before. Yeah, we, we were uh, scheduled to leave the next morning. And I just got a phone call from one of the guys saying there's... T- uh, Two of us aren't coming. It was the drummer, Danny, and uh, Henry, the guitar player. And they said, we're not coming. And so it was like, how to deal with that? You know, either to say, okay, we're not going. I can't go without two of you guys. Or, hey, we're booked. We're going. Hoping that they might show up or something. Yeah. So we took the latter option. But I wouldn't be... If I was you, I wouldn't be cool about that. Two, two people I trusted just right. said I'm not coming. I wasn't cool about it. Be... I'm just acting cool now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long time after. I was I'd definitely not cool about it. you kidding? I was livid. It was like... Trash. And you know what? The good thing about that was then it made me... I, I was wondering which way I was going to go, you know, yeah. sympathise with them or really not sympathise mm-hmm. with them, which was the attitude I took, yeah. which was like, right, screw you. I am going to make an album that you will wish you were on. Before we got there, we are in the plane. The pilot had recognised me, and they often say, if you'd like to come and watch the landing, that's like a little perk. Yeah, right. So I said, ooh, I love it, you know. So I'm up there watching the landing, and down below is jungle. And there's a mist... On the jungle, it's perfect, it's Africa. You know, it's like, but the two pilots are going, can you see it? <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going, oh no. He's going, I think that's it over there. No. I say, oh my God, you know, are we even going to land? Never yeah. mind. Well, we did. And they, they finally saw it and landed. And the, the um, impression was, okay, this is like very underdeveloped. So it was a bit of a shock. But also coming from the fact that your life for however many years was just so planned for you and then suddenly you got to Lagos and, you know, it's chaos, I imagine. But I imagine that was quite inspiring. Yeah, it was. It was kind of frightening stroke inspiring. <laughs> More frightening than inspiring. Yeah, but you know, you know that when you're placed in that situation, you, you, you've got to make a decision. You know, am I going to run home crying yeah. or make the best of this? Yeah. And we decided we'd, we'd make the best of it. So even the sound of the album, I mean, the, the, the sound booths weren't built. Uh, they didn't know the, the, the particular guys in the studio. It was quite a, a rough and ready studio. Sure. And so we had to talk to them. So, you know, back in London, they've got these things called sound booths. Oh. And they were beautiful guys. They were quite, I remember two of them, uh, Innocent. One of them was called On Monday, which I just like the names. Yeah. But the, the guys, they were very nice guys. And we would have to say, no, we need to let some wood. And we'll need some perspex and we're going to make a vocal booth. 
with only three of you, you had to do a lot of multitasking over there, I guess, right? Yeah. When our drummer left, I, there was a kind of I'll show you mm -hmm. aspect. And I thought, okay, well, now I don't have to tell him how I want the drums. I can play them. And I'm an okay drummer. I mean, I'm not a great drummer, um, but I've got a kind of style. I've got a feel. Yeah. And I like playing drums. That's the other thing. So I knew if I kept it simple, I would be able to cover it. So you'll notice that the drums on Bandleron are pretty simple. So Linda and I walking along this dark street from some mate's house that we were back to our place, which is probably about two miles away. We thought, beautiful, Africa, yeah. beautiful night, starry, starry night, right. walking along. And then a car just pulls up and uh, win the window comes down, rolled down. And the guy sort of said, you know, he looks at me, and I said, guy got in his face. I always get in people's face. I, you know, just, I said, all right, mate, how you doing? <laughs> you know, what's up? And he said, he looked at me like strange. He said, are you travelers? I went, yeah, travelers. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I said, listen, mate, it's very nice of you to stop. We don't want a lift. We're walking, we're walking. <laughs> That's what I thought. You know, I'm like, you know, everyone's nice. Yeah. He's offering us a lift. Suddenly, all the doors open, and five young chaps get out. And then you realise... there's a little squat one who's got a knife. I go, oh. Yeah. Ding. You don't want to give us a lift at all. Oh, that's what it was all along. And Linda was great. She's screaming at him. She said, leave him alone! Leave him alone! He's a musician! Like, that's going to help. <laughs> well, you know, music. He's a musician. Leave him alone. Leave him it's alone. And we said, what do you want? What do you want? Tape, tape, camera, 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 tape, whatever. Well, because the guy's got a knife, you know, he's fairly persuasive. Sure. So, go on, you can have it, you can have it. It's Were you cult. tempted then to go home? Because, you, I mean, everything's... I don't think so. Yeah, I don't remember. Good. We just went into the studio, told our story to the guys there, the local guy, the studio manager. And he said, you were lucky. I said, what do you mean, lucky? You got mugged, you know. He said, no, he said, he, he said, if you had been local, you could have got killed. Wow. But then you had to start from scratch. I mean, had you got, it was all up there? Yeah, so that was the thing. They took all the demo tapes along with everything else. But I'd, I remembered everything. Um, but then I had lyric sheets and okay. stuff. And, you know, once you've written a song, a lyric sheet's often all you need just to go, oh yeah, that's how it goes. For me, Band on the Run, I think round about that time, there was a sort of spirit amongst the young people of like, getting away, vigilantes, uh -huh. desperados. Uh -huh. There were records coming out a bit like that. And I think that was me doing a nod to that kind of thing. It was a nice idea, sort of breaking out, you know, and we were stuck inside somewhere, these four walls, and then the song could break out, and then it could get more sort of um, fantasy into it. But it was imaginary, it's not really based on anything I actually knew. Um, looking back now, what is it, 36 years? Something like that. Where does this rate in, in, your, in your, how important is this album in your career? Well, I think it's, it's important for me uh, because it was really the first time we had a big hit. And so it was important for Wings. It introduced Wings to a lot of people, uh, to the new generation of people who now will talk about it as kind of an iconic album for them. Whereas I often think uh, Sergeant Pepper, but I was doing an interview with a younger guy who said, well, he said, no, you know, it's You're not really Sergeant seriously. Pepper. You're looking at him seriously. And that, that. kind of took me by surprise. I'm going, no, surely, Sergeant Pepper, you know, 
Yeah. Band on the Run's my one. Yeah. So that was nice, especially after we'd been trying to be the band after the Beatles. Mm. Um, so finally we made it, you know, and then after that we went on tour in America, 1976, had a big success there. So that was really the start of Wing's success. So it's so special for that reason for me. It's a bit of a recurring rabbit hole theme today with another four-syllable song with three distinct parts, Paul McCartney's Band on the Run. take a short break and quickly recap the magic before I get to my favourite four-syllable artist singing a four-syllable song. Recapping the magic. And the suits among the little silver stereos and hand rolled cheroots. One of these days you'll see the best of me. 
not my favorite, but I'll do it for you. Here's my choice for my favourite four-syllable artist singing a four-syllable song. And it was this epic band's third ever single and first ever top ten song in the UK. Here's the band talking about the song. It was the tune that, as I remember, that changed everything. It seemed to be one day we were a certain kind of band. I mean, it was written before the record or anything like that. And then that set off a chain reaction that everything followed. That was the, what, it was the, the tune that... But the guy was a record deal really, once McGee heard it, he was like, fuck, you know. Didn't get any more money out of the cunt, though. At the time it was written in the middle of grunge and all that, and I remember Nirvana had a tune called I Ate Myself When I Want to Die. Yeah. Which I was like, well, I'm not fucking having that. As much no as way. I fucking like him and all that shit, I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm, I can't have people like that coming over here on smack, fucking yeah, saying that they hate themselves that. and they want to die. That's yeah. fucking rubbish. And I'm not saying it was written directly as a as a retort to that, but that was my thinking was, fuck that, man. Kids don't need to do that nonsense. Seemed like to me he was a guy that had everything and was miserable about it. And we had fuck all. And I still thought that getting up in the morning was the greatest fucking thing ever because you didn't know where you'd end up at night, mm. you know. And we didn't have a pot to piss in, but it was fucking great, man. It's nice going on stage playing that tune when you've got all these other fucking indie bands like diddly diddly diddly, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's who we were playing with at the time. You know them people. I know the fucking people. So it was like when we dropped that, man, you know, and I'm talking like fucking I. When we dropped it and stuff, it was fucking, we knew we were the bollocks. So my favourite four-syllable artist singing a four-syllable song is Oasis with Live Forever. As I am breaking the four-syllable rule here for the artist, as Oasis is three syllables, I'm going to play the four-syllable Noel Gallagher playing his great four-syllable song, Live Forever. I love this version, and here's Uncle Noel again. And I was writing songs just to amuse myself, and then one night I went down with the song and everything changed. I'm 
Bonehead, he was saying, you've not just fucking written that. That's no way that's your song. Well, I wouldn't believe it. For someone to come in a room and just go, I'll play one of my songs and then play You Live Forever, it's like, fuck off. You can write that. And he's like, why didn't I? I was like, because <laughs> listen to it, you know. Like, wow, what a song. You didn't write it. Yeah, did. no, I didn't. I knew enough about music and about songs to know that that was a great song. And then one followed another. And it's like, no, this is happening now. Even if no one else takes any notice of it, this is happening. Maybe. Thank you so much for listening. I know I kid around, but it really does warm my black heart that anyone gives the podcast a spin. Thank you so much. Thanks always to Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio for the webpage and logic assistance and Rob Dean at Paint the Fence Studios for the podcast stingers, including this week's new choir hate Led Zeppelin love song. Thanks, mate. And if you haven't done so yet, please take the one minute it takes to rate the podcast, especially on the Apple app. It really does help get the podcast in the orbit of other like-minded humans. I still have sticker and pick packs for anyone who does that and then hits me up on Instagram. And feel free to follow the podcast on Instagram too, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. I've got heaps of record porn, some guitar porn and the occasional dog porn. That terminology doesn't really translate to pets, but occasionally my dog's on there. And as mentioned at the start of the podcast, if you do want to tell me what I did wrong, missed, or could do better in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, please send me an email at I don't even have an email program at gofuckyesmellyself at timebandit.cockgoblin forward slash please at geocities.kfc.nope.gov.uk and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, you can hit me up on Facebook and Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. I do have Twitter too, but I rarely check it out because it seems quite opinionated over there and I like to keep it dumb and smiley. Speaking of dumb and smiley, please check out the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlist of all the songs from each episode and some other poop. To end the podcast, I'm going to add, when I can, an example of the episode's topic and this week features a band that I also used back in episode two's girls' names, Doc Halibut. The Doc Halibut record was the only CD I had in my car during lockdown in winter last year up at a farm. It really helped my vibe, which led me to doing this podcast just to find something positive and fun to do. All five of the guys are very good friends of mine and awesome musicians. The album is Lucky Star and it's so very good. Check out the Victims tab on the website for a few of their nuggets. Andy Ferguson, their main man, is one of the best singer, songwriter, guitarists in my town. And he knows I love this song because I always hassle him about it. The four-syllabled Right Place, Right Time by Doc Halibut. Thanks again, guys. See ya.
gotta be in the right place at the right time to get love. Gotta be in the right frame of mind if you wanna pick it up. Searching every ocean, every single sea, every bit of land in every country. You still gotta be in the right place at the right time to get love. Still gonna be 